Good afternoon, everyone. I always enjoy the special music. If the sermon is bad, you can always brag on the music. So that gives us a way out. I want to make a special announcement about the Day of Atonement. I think all of you know that you don't bring any snacks because I'm going to buy your lunch. I always do that on the Day of Atonement. I'm, I'm a giving individual on that day, so please remember that. I'd like to mention this. I've told some people about this, that uh, this daddy rat was taking his little son out for a walk, and he was teaching his sons about the hazards of life. He said, son, said, a cat is your worst enemy. You have to be aware of those cats. So about that time, this cat jumped out and started toward the rat. The daddy rat barked like a dog, and that cat just took off. So the daddy rat looked at his son and said, You see, son, it pays to learn a foreign language. <laughs> I was reading the other day about uh, a woman walked up to a little old man rocking his rocking chair on his porch. And she said, I couldn't help for noticing how happy you look. He said, well, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. I drink a case of whiskey a week, ate all the fatty foods I can, and I never exercise. She said, that's amazing. He said, how old are you? He said, 26. <laughs> so you young people, if you want to look old, <laughs> you follow that pattern as well. You know, it's always an honor to be here at headquarters. I know all of you appreciate being here and our visitors as well because this is where the excitement is. It's where the work is being done. And I remember Dr. Meredith telling us in the executive lunch that he thought something was going to happen in 2012, in the fall of 2012. Now, he never said he was a prophet, but I think all of us understand what's going on in the Middle East how that is coming about, and we know, brethren, that America has lost its power. It's lost. Nobody fears America anymore, and we know Israel and Iran, and things are happening in the world, just like Mr. Meredith had been telling us, and we need to be prepared for these events. You know, you're never really prepared until it happens, and then you wonder why it happened. So God has given us the advanced warning, advanced knowledge, how we can escape all of these troubles that are coming on this earth. Now, I was sitting in my office this morning meditating on what an honor it is to be in the presence of God on His Sabbath day. It is an honor for that period of time to be with Almighty God in His great power and His great plan. Also, the feast days are so important to us. Without those feast days, we wouldn't understand God's plan of salvation at all. So God has given us that understanding of the feast. We understand man, why God created man. We understand about the angels as we've been taught in God's church. Also, I was uh, thinking about what an experience it's going to be to live in the kingdom of God. Have you ever just thought about that, what that would be like? A way of happiness, peace, and joy forever and ever. No more, no, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more death. Always life would be fresh, scintillating, always. 
No more worries, no more doubts and fears as we experience in the human life. So God has given us this opportunity, each one of us, if we desire, to be a part of that, be a part of that family. So we need to think about that as we go along to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, two weeks from tomorrow, tomorrow night, we will spend eight wonderful, glorious days with God. Now, with God at His feast, that we have been invited to His feast to learn a very important lesson. And brethren, we need to think about that lesson that God wants us to learn at the Feast of Tabernacles. He tells us what we need to learn and what really pleases Him. So God has given to His church His festivals to keep us constantly reminded of our glorious future with God, that His future will become our future. And you think about it, that we've been given the most precious, awesome, stupendous knowledge, the way of life, the greatest law that's ever been given to any generation. God has given us that. And we are privileged to be in that last generation on earth today. What an honor that is. You know, I didn't have to be born. I'm one of the sixth of the seven. I'm next to the last. I didn't have to be born. But I thank God that I am born. And I thank God that God has called me. He's opened my mind and given me an understanding of his wonderful plan. So this feast will help us to renew that knowledge and give us a deeper respect of God's knowledge and God's plan of salvation, that is, if we want it. Now, this will be my wife and I's 49th feast. First feast was Jekyll Island, Georgia. And I'm sure some of you remember those great times in Jekyll Island. Well, back then, you couldn't make your own arrangements. You'd have to send it into Pasadena, and they would assign you a, a motel that you would stay in. So when we got the confirmation back, we said uh, they told us we'd be staying at the Buccaneer. Now, we had, hadn't been in motels, I think, maybe one time in, in my life at that time because uh, you didn't go anyplace, so you didn't need a motel. You're taking vacation because you didn't have the money. So when we checked in that room, the Buccaneer, it's where most of the ministers were staying, the first thing we did as we checked in, went into the room, we knelt down and thanked God for the safe trip. And thanked God for that room and thanked him for that, for that. That's the first thing we did before we did anything else. And it was just, we just looked forward to the feast. I think we got up about 2 o'clock in the morning, drove all the way to Jekyll Island. You couldn't sleep anyway because everybody was excited about going to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, it was a tough time there at Jekyll Island, but you didn't think about it. You think about it all, and I know the wind was always blowing. It was bad for toupees and wigs down there. <laughs> always blowing. So my wife and I decided to walk from the motel to the tent. And by the time we got there, my wife's hair looked like a hill, uh, Dillard's, you know, just all over the place. And she didn't have a bathroom to go to because they didn't have any. <laughs> so everybody looked about the same. And after services, or between services, you would line up for one cafeteria. And you'd be standing in line. It'd be, oh, you thought you'd never see the end of it. 
And so these old timers say, you think this is tough. You should have been with us at Sigler Springs. I thought, is it any tougher than this? By the time you got to the cafeteria, you had to go back because services were starting. So, so you didn't get to eat, but we didn't think about that. Uh, food was not all that important it, at that time. You see, we were happy to be there. And we heard from sermonette men, from sermon men, and we stood in awe of that. We knew they were God's people speaking to us. We took copious notes, and every time I'd get corrected, I'd put a little line there, God, please forgive me. Please help me to remember this. Please help me to overcome it. I went to the feast to overcome and to learn God's way of life. I wanted that feast to have a tremendous effect on me and my family. I had a purpose for going. It wasn't for the ocean. It wasn't for the motel. It was to hear the sermons and the sermonettes. It would have a tremendous impact because I was starving to death for knowledge. I wanted to hear that, what had to be said in that sermon. So the keynote of this feast could be present yourself to the living God. And remember, brethren, it's God's feast. You are invited to God's feast. He wants you to enjoy his feast. But we have to ask ourselves the question that we'll hear maybe over 16 or 17 or maybe 18 hours of spiritual meat. Now, will that have an impact on us? Will that change us any? Will we come back the same old person as we went there? Will we come back just as excited uh, about being to the feast as we are about preparing ourselves to go? Now, what is the primary reason that God wants us to attend his feast? What does he want us to learn? Does he want us to learn how to fellowship? Does he want us to learn how to have fun? What does God want us to learn as his people? Where we see in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it's there for us. In Deuteronomy 14, what God requires, and we need to think about it, brethren, In verse 22, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And why is that purpose? And you shall eat before the eternal your God in the place where he chooses to place his name, uh, name abides, the tithe of your grain and the new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds that you may learn, see, to fear the Lord your God. That's a lesson. That God wants us to learn, to fear Him. Learning is a process. And He says, you may learn to fear your God always. So when we eat, we're eating in the fear of God. When we're dressing, when we dress up, we dress up in the fear of God. We're with Him eight days. We learn during that feast how to eat in the fear of God, how to drink in the fear of God, how to conduct ourselves in the fear of God. That's the purpose. Now, I've known people who've gone down, they committed adultery, they fornicated, they got drunk and they had to be sent home. They had a different purpose altogether. It was their feast. It wasn't God's feast. They never thought about the fear of God. They never thought about that. I wonder truly how many of us really fear God, really fear Him. 
Now, we fear tornadoes. We fear earthquakes. We fear the police. We fear certain things. I remember reading one time this hurricane was headed toward the Mississippi Gulf Shores, or Gulf there. And they were told to evacuate. Everybody was told to get off except a handful of young people who decided we'll ride out the hurricane. We will have a get ourselves some champagne and we will celebrate it, the hurricane. They didn't fear it. They didn't respect it. You know what happened to all of them? It's a fatal choice. It drowned every one of them like rats because they did not fear that earthquake or didn't fear the tornado. When you see a, earth, a tornado coming to you, what do you do? Well, you go to a place of safety. You don't want to get hurt, you see. You protect yourself. So the more we fear God, the less we sin. See, the more we fear God, the less one sins because he fears God in, in those situations. And, and I think this, what keep, you know what keeps me from robbing a bank? I fear the police. I don't want to do time in jail, you see. You know what keeps me doing 80 miles an hour? <laughs> it's, a, it's a highway patrolman. And I see when that light comes on, there's a fear, you know. There's a fear that happens. I remember this lady <clears throat> who had begun attending church, and she told me, she said, Mr. League, I broke the Sabbath. And I said, I've been on my face just rolling. I said, I'm just worried to death. You know, I'm just rolling. I ask God to forgive me. Please help me in that situation. Now, that woman had a healthy fear in a way of repentance. She did that because she feared God. Not that we're supposed to be terrified of him, but that keeps us from making mistakes. It keeps us from getting drunk. That keeps us from dressing, we've dressed properly. If we had that healthy fear of God, you see. And God says, all right, come to my feast for eight days. Do all of this in the fear of God. Everything you do, remember me in it. And that will help you to have a better feast each time. So we understand those situations. And uh, I hope we're thinking about that and learning as we attend the Feast of Tabernacles to listen to every sermon, every sermonette. Get that nugget of truth. Put it in your mind so you don't forget it. Let it change your heart and soul. When you come back, you're better prepared to serve God in his work in his church. If we allow God, if we allow him to teach us, and that is the purpose. I've seen people at the feast can, couldn't wait for the prayer. They'd, get, they'd leave before the closing prayer so they'd get on the beach. The beach meant more to them than the fellowship of the brethren. They were all been coming together. It meant more to them. So they come back and they talk about how great beach it was. Not about the feast, you see. The feast of God, God's feast, it was a physical thing. Now, it's not that we can't enjoy it. I love the beach, don't get me wrong. But the, God is more important than the ocean. God created the ocean, see. He's more important than anything because we're going to spend eternity with God forever. 
But we have to learn to fear him. Never turn on him. Never turn on, <clears throat> on God. In Hebrews chapter 12, Dr. Meredith read this a couple of weeks ago. In Hebrews 12, here the Apostle Paul was talking about when God came down to Mount Sinai. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. When he came down, you see, Moses had seen God's great power. Israel had seen God's power on, it, on Egypt. He saw the Red Sea open. But when he came down on Mount Sinai, something happened. See, something really happened, as Paul is bringing out here in this year. Then he says, therefore, in verse 32... He says here, For we have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burn with fire, to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. It was so frightening to hear that voice that God was speaking to them. And they didn't want to hear it. It's too terrifying. Apparently, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. So that's God's. He wanted people to fear. Even if a beast touched the mountain, they are to be killed, is to be put to death. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. After all the power that he had seen, when he saw this, he said he was afraid and trembling. You remember when the hand appeared to Belshazzar? And his days were numbered. That his joints just, he just melted inside. He knew it was over. He shook. He was afraid. God had numbered his days. And sometimes uh, maybe we don't think about God in certain ways, that he has the power of life and death. As Mr. Meredith read that scripture two weeks ago, the power of life and death. He can destroy us all. A man may kill us, but we're afraid of man. And maybe not God. We're afraid of heights. We're afraid, but maybe not God. So we have to ask ourselves that question. Do I fear God? Or do I keep sinning? Or do I want to change? Will this feast have an effect upon me? Am I going to use the knowledge to change that I hear in the sermons and sermonettes? But he said, You have not come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to a numerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And it talks about uh, the mediator. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven." Now, how does God speak to us today? He speaks through his ministers. 
He speaks through his ministers, Mr. Meredith, Mr. Ames, and others who are up here. Do we listen to what they have to say? Do we believe what they say, or, or do we say, well, I've heard it over and over and over again? See, over and over and over, become dull of hearing. Do we do what they ask us to do? See, do we view it, think about it, talk about it in a positive way? What if we refuse to listen, then who are we to blame? You know, brethren, Satan will give you just enough truth to start your own religion. He doesn't mind at all if you have a little truth. So you can start your own religion, your own church, be what you want to be, ordain yourself or whatever, whose voice then shook the earth. Now, we've never heard that, have we? I've been in an earthquake before, a small one, and it's frightening. What do you do? You run out of the building. See, when the ground starts shaking, you, you don't know what to do. Whose voice shook the earth, now that he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the beautiful scene that, that Mr. Ames described to us, he's going to shake that. And that's going to be a fearful thing, brethren, when people see that. What are they going to do? Where will they go? Well, we pretty much know what they're going to do because the Bible tells us. Now this, you once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving the kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptable with reverence and, you see, godly fear. That's the way we serve God, with reverence and that godly fear that God puts in each of our hearts to fear him in the right way. For our God is a consuming fire. That just boggles your mind, trying to think what that looks like. Trying to think... God's body, what it's made of, feet like bronze, and all of these different things. And such a powerful voice that he has. I mean, when you speak in the old earth shakes, there's a lot of power. And we've never seen that power. We've never had it demonstrated. But it's going to be terrifying when these things began to happen, and brother, we may be close to that as we heard, you know, as we've been hearing, and we realize. So how much time would a person have then if he has built any character? There's no such thing as deathbed religion. We cannot play church. We cannot play the feast. We have to be sincere toward God. He knows our heart. He sees, he sees us the way we are. And thank God he's given us a chance to repent every day from the way we are. In Hebrews chapter 5, in verse 5, Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I, I have begotten you. As he always says uh, to another pl in another place, you are the priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications and vehement cries and fear and tears in him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of what? His godly fear. Christ had that fear in him. He lived a perfect life. He was in constant communion with his, with his father. He wanted to live a perfect life. And when he was uh, the last moment of his life, when he was praying there, he had that godly fear, not my will, but your will be done. See, your will be done. And though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And sometimes we suffer to learn something. And when we learn something, maybe we don't suffer anymore. But we learn by suffering. We learn by certain things and understanding what God really wants for us. In Jeremiah 32, go back to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 36. And now, therefore, thus saith the Eternal, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say it shall be delivered unto the hands of the king of Babylon, by the sword, by the famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries which I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart, one way, that they may fear me forever. For the good of them and their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, so that they will not depart from me. So I pray to God every day to put his fear in me, put that fear, that godly fear, where I, <clears throat> that I'm his son, you know, I'm his son, that I need that because if not, I might drift away or I might do things I shouldn't be doing, see, or saying things I shouldn't say. As you've heard us all say, we're not perfect at all. We know we have some changes to make. And I'm hoping during this feast coming up that I can start making some of the changes I know I need to change. Now, my wife said I've already started changing, and that's quite a compliment because I let her buy her dresses, see, clothes for the feast. <laughs> no, I was just teasing about that. But, but you see, it's this fear that you would learn to do it. It's just not natural for us. It's natural to fear man. It's natural to fear if you're going to lose your job. It's natural, see. What am, what's going to happen to me if I lose my job? Well, if I don't work on the Sabbath, the boss will fire me. It's not what God says. We don't fear God. We fear sometimes the boss. See, not God. When God says, don't do it, then the mind can reason, well, if I don't do it, I'm in the hole here. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, I've got to obey man. Well, what can man do to us? He can fire us, but God can hire us. He can give us a better job. See, that's what he said. You seek first the kingdom of God. You don't have to worry in his righteousness. You don't have to worry about food, clothing, and shelter like everybody else. 
God gives that to us. And he wants us to enjoy those things as well. Now, in Luke chapter 21, you know, when I was started the church and started tithing, the second tithe, I only made about $300 a month. If you were to put that on paper, there's no way you can make it come out. It'd be impossible. But you see, you can't put God on paper, can you? How do you put God on paper? It's amazing what he can do for you. It's amazing how many blessings a person can receive after he pays all of his tithe every third year. It's amazing how these things happen. We hear these stories that things happen. It is amazing how God takes care of us. So we went to the feast. Didn't worry about a nickel. And we had a great feast, you see. But if I'd have been worried about my job, been worried about this, worried about what my mother thinks, worried about what my uncle thinks, now what God thinks. So when we're in God's presence, we should be free from all of that. Let God handle it. See, let him handle those things. Just to give you an example that I've told the Spokesman Club in 1964 that a deep recession in the United States, especially in Huntsville, Alabama, because of the space program, the government had taken away a lot of contracts. So I was laid off. I was laid off from Thiokol Chemical Corporation because they didn't, the contract was not renewed. And uh, that was sometimes, I believe, in June. And a feast was coming up. And there was no jobs to be found. The recession was deep. So the Boeing Company came in to Huntsville with a pilot program, skeleton crew to hire people. Because the space program was started. So I got a call from Boeing Company that did not know me from Adam, from Adam, called me and asked me to come in for an interview. So I went in for the interview. He says, we've got a job opening in procurement. Well, I never bought anything but maybe an apple or a piece of bread or something like that, procurement. So I went in there, and we were being interviewed. And he said, you, got, you have a college education, don't I? I said, no, sir, I don't. I said, I don't have, I have a year of college, but I don't have a college education. He said, well, we can't hire you then. I said, well, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Then we sat there for about a minute, and I saw his head do that. And he says, you know, I'm going to take a chance on you. See, I'm going to take a chance on you. So I went to work in July, and Boeing Company, the space program, required seven days a week. They had, they had to get a man on the moon by the end of, uh, back in August 1969. So I was there, and I was faced with a feast, and they wouldn't let me off. So I went to my supervisor and said, uh, Sir, I said, uh, I've got to take off for a couple of weeks. And just, he said, well, you don't have vacation. You don't have anything. You can't do that. And uh, I said, well, I have to. He said, well, no, you, you can't. 
So I didn't say anything. I waited another week and went to him. I said, uh, I've really, I'm not trying to make a, threaten you or anything like that. And I understand the needs, but I have to take off. He said, well, write it up. So we wrote it up, and then, I, then he sent me to the general manager. So the general manager, he was a tough guy. I mean, he was tough. So he put his hands behind his back like that, put his feet on the desk. He said, where are you going, Bob? I said, I'm going to Jekyll Island, Georgia, to keep God's feast. He said, I'll tell you what, Bob, I'd rather have you in any tent out there. That I want you to go and enjoy yourself. Now, I felt like that cripple at the gate when Peter healed him. <laughs> so that's why I know you put God first. He'll take care of you, brethren. I've seen it too many times in my life. He's given me the breaks in spite of me. He's given me a free education in spite of me. Travel in spite of me. He is real. If you fear him, see, not try to work it out yourself. I think a lot of you could understand what I'm talking about. It's happened to you. We just tend to forget about it from time to time. But it, it happens to all of us. We belong to God, and nobody else owns me. God owns me. See, Nobody else owns me, so what can man do to me if they don't own me? And we understand those things. So, So in Luke chapter... 21, we read about that terrifying time that's coming, and we know about it, just like someone would tell you there's a tornado on the way. It's probably hit you in two, weeks, two days. What would you do? Well, you start preparing yourself to get out, probably get any money in your house and put in your pocket or car so you get out. But you know you'd better get out if, if, uh, you know, if they say that's going to happen. Then he's here, he says, verse 25 of Luke 21, Luke 20, verse, verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Now just think about what's happening in the Middle East right now. Well, just a few nations, but all the nations having the same problems with the sea roaring, all these signs in heaven above, it's going to be a scary time. This man go run, get a fifth of whiskey and try to drown himself. What will he do? See, Young people, what would you do? You may live to see some of it. Then what? What would you tell God? You didn't have time to prepare yourself? See, I was too busy doing other things, doing what I want to do. Men's hearts failing them from fear. Is that heart attacks? Making them. And not only that, some places they're running to the caves, to the mountains, asking them to hide them from Christ, from God Himself. We don't want to face God. I read for the rocks to cover me, not God, you see, because God is made fun of. People don't know who he is. They don't understand his power. And when he begins to shake the earth, brethren, then they will know there's a God in heaven, some will. 
when he begins to do those things. Well, I didn't have time to get baptized. You see, I was too busy doing what I wanted to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. They will in that day. In that day, they will. I was teaching up at Orr one time, some of the young people, <clears throat> Christian living classes, and we were talking about some of these times, and I said, if the Nazis or Germany were to take you prisoners the way it used to be, take you prisoners, put you in a barrack, they come in about 3 o'clock in the morning, and they said, rise and shine. Oh, we're going to sleep some more. Oh, you're not going to tell me what to do. I said, they would take that gun butt and bust your head open. I said, who's next? Who's next? Who wants to be next? I said, they jump out of bed for fear. When you put it in those terms, it is frightening in a way. Sometimes we need to be reminded as well that, that God has all power. And all mercy. Now, what does God want us to do at His feast? Well, and besides, uh, you know, besides uh, learn to fear Him, let's let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy 16, verse 13. You shall observe the feast of tabernacles seven days, when you have gathered from your threshing floor. And from your wine press, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, the Levites, the strangers and fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all of your produce, in all of the work of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. That's why we rejoice. If you go to the feast believing, if you keep it the way God says, if your secretary is going to bless you, if your farmer is going to bless you, if your truck driver is going to bless you, if your carpenter he's going to bless you, you see, he promises that. So you rejoice in that. See? In the next year's harvest. You rejoice. Anticipate going to the feast because God's going to bless you. That's why we rejoice, knowing that he's given us the means to rejoice in. He's blessed us, you see. He's blessed all of us. Many of us were poor. We had nothing when we came into church. And we were told you got to save your second tithe and go to the place where God chooses. Now, a lot of us thought we couldn't do it, but now we got people going all, we got some going to Israel next year. We got people going all over the place said they couldn't afford it. They were poor, but they couldn't afford it. But they did go. And God did bless them. He did bless them. He proved to them that I am God and there's no one else. And when he shook Mount Sinai, the first thing he said, in chapter 20, verse 1, I am the Lord your God. There's no one else. I am God. And this is what I am. There is no one else. He wanted to get that over to Israel. But Israel never did understand. So, again, 
what I'm saying, what effect then will this feast have upon you? Have you even thought about it? What effect? You know, we get so busy preparing for everything, making sure of everything. We don't leave anything behind. We get so busy in the physical that we don't prepare ourselves to the spiritual, to be with God who is spirit, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Then we have to prepare ourselves, just like Israel had to prepare themselves for Mount Sinai. You tell them to go wash their clothes. Don't come near their wives during that time. And you bring them up to meet me. See, They prepared themselves for that event, and it scared them to death. See, now they're wits. Now in Psalms 100, we sing this. But don't worry, I'm not going to sing it here. I'm going to read it. Psalms 100. Make a joyful shout to the eternal, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing, you see. Singing in your heart. That's the way we're to come before God. Not all grumpy and grouchy and when is it going to be over with and... It's rejoicing before this great God in heaven above. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. There's no self-made man in God's presence. God is one who makes us. He's the one who creates in us his son, as Mr. Ames brought out, creating me a clean heart. God has to do that. But the more we fear him, the more we give our heart to him, the more we see pure things. We see things that are pure as we grow closer in that fear of God. We begin to see what he sees, understand what he understands. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures in all generations. All generations. God's truth never changes, brethren. We cannot change God's truth. But His truth never changes. It's always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same today as He was on Mount Sinai. He hasn't changed at all. So I believe that all of us in this room need to go to the feast and make some changes. Don't you? Do we have anybody perfect yet that don't have to make any changes? We all have to make changes as we go to the... We have to know what changes we need to make. And we have to ask God to show us the things we need to do to make it a more pleasant feast in His sight. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is not, a, not an ending to anything, but it's a beginning, see? It doesn't end our lives at the feast. It's a beginning. It's a change in our heart. It should bring a change in our life. A new dedication to God and His work. A renewal in our life, our marriage. We will really put our heart in the job and be thankful that God has given us a job. That we have a job. Some of us don't have to worry about taking, asking off for the Sabbath. We don't have to worry about anything, per se. And we should rejoice in that. 
you go out here in the world and some of the people in church that knows what, know what I'm talking about, and you have to go and ask your boss, can I take off? And he says, no. See, we're not faced with that with Dr. Meredith. You are going to let me go, aren't you, Dr. Meredith? <laughs> we're not faced with that. Sick leave, vacation, we can run an errand. What an honor that is. There's a lot of people like to take your place. I know back in the Depression days, my daddy used to say, the boss would tell him, there's a barefoot man out there ready to take your place. It's an honor to work for God, to work for Him, to obey Him, to be happy. We have a lot to be happy for, a lot to be thankful for. So we need this new dedication, a new loyalty to God. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> Nehemiah 8. And we can see Judah keeping the feast during Nehemiah's time. In chapter 8, verse 1 of Nehemiah, now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square and was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded them. Just think about that. It's like one mind there. They wanted to be taught God's law. They've been without it. One mind as they stood there. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear and with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, and you'll hear Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames explain a lot of that on trumpets. Then he read from it in the open square and was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. You say, boy, that must have been boring. That would have been about 10 o'clock to 12, wouldn't it? About the same hours we have, two hours. They wanted that. They were standing. They wanted to hear the priests, scribes, and Levites give sense to the Scriptures. Now he said unto day before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now what if we had that attitude when we go to the feast, that all of us there to listen as one person? Don't you think that would be pleasing to God? See? So Ezra the scribe stood on the platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, for that, for the purpose. Just like we, you know, we're on a stage. We're looking at, out at God's people, and we're preaching out of the book of God's law, out of the book of New Testament. We're preaching that and making sense to you, that it makes sense, you see. A, a God-called minister can read something, you will understand it. That is, if you're listening, you'll have that understanding. The way God has set it up is not the man, it's the, it's the book. It's not the man you're rejecting, it's the book that we reject. 
Now in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up in respect. Now back in the old days, I'm sure Mrs. Ames remember this, if, if they had this big Bible they would put out on the table, and it carried, it carried a message where you were afraid to do anything. You stood in awe of that Bible. It was called the Family Bible. And you stood in awe of it. You were afraid to say anything. You surely didn't smoke around it. But the awe of the Bible was there. The Word of God. Just like the first feast, the awe, the power was there. That make you want to change. And so this, they were experiencing this at that time. In verse 17, so the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and sat under the booze. Now you see, they found in the, in the book of the law that they're supposed to keep the feast seven days and this is how they're supposed to do it. Did they argue over it? Did they fight over it? No, they wanted to learn to do what God said. Now, we don't have to go to the feast, you see, and make, take wood with us, whatever, and live that way at all. We've got nice motel rooms. We have maids that come in and clean our rooms. Do we ever just take the time and thank the maid for her service? and making our stay so comfortable, and give them a tip where they can find it. Take the time for the janitor to make it so nice for us that we're no respect to persons. We treat everybody the same, see, to make their day. Now, Myrtle Beach the other day, my wife and I was on vacation, <clears throat> and this maid came in. I was out on the porch, I think, a balcony. And uh, she was grumpy as she could be. My wife said she wouldn't even talk. My wife tried to talk to her. She wouldn't talk. So they had um, oh, conditioner. That conditioner thing wouldn't work. She washed her hair in the conditioner thing. And she mentioned that to the maid and kind of grumpy. said, well, we'll get one. I'll have one sent up to you. And uh, so eventually she came with it. Came in and my wife gave her a tip. You know what happened to that tip? My wife said, you had a hard day. She said, I surely did, ma'am. I really had a hard day. And she showed appreciation that someone gave her a little bit of tip. That I care. Thank you for doing that for Even though it was her job. See, we can still be nice. Give them a little bit. They don't earn anything to help them. And I guarantee you, if you start doing that, they'll see to it that you got plenty of towels and soap and washcloths and clean sheets. <laughs> you are special. Uh, if you do those, if you recognize them, see, who make it possible for us. So I asked her, I said, how many rooms do you clean up? She said, about 20. I said, do you clean up your own house or you make a husband? She said, no, sir, I have to do it. <laughs> but how boring that can be. 
And if someone just takes a little time and talk and encourage, that makes their day better for them. So the whole assembly uh, was there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And verse 18, also day by day from the first day until the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, on, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Now, did that just end it for them? I've had all the law that I've made. I've, I've heard it from trumpets all the way to the last great day. No, it has such a profound effect on them. The next day they started fasting. That's what an effect they had on them. They started fasting. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel, that's chapter 9, verse 1, were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those Israelites' uh, lineage separated themselves from all of the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and iniquity of their fathers. They started doing something. What did they do? They started separating themselves. They started coming out. See? They'd had the law read to them, and they were willing to obey that law. So they, they decided then that they would separate themselves. So they stood up in their place and read from the book, uh, well, they, I'm sorry, separate himself, confessed their iniquities and their fathers. They stood up in their, verse 3, in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of a day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then, uh, then they began to talk about they're not going to give their sons to strangers or take in their daughters. They're not going to have what you call mixed marriages like that. They made an oath that they wouldn't do it. It has such a, an effect on them, brethren. They were ready to do anything God had asked them to do. They had a way of teaching their children again, teaching God's law to them. So it was such a, such a tremendous effect on them that that feast at that time made. Now, verse 29 of chapter 10. These joined with their brethren and their nobles and entered into a curse, an oath, to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. We will not give, verse 30, our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the people of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy it from them on the Sabbath. You see what an effect that had on them? By hearing God's law, they listened for correction. And there was no feast since Joshua, the Bible says, like that feast there. None like that feast. What? God can do for people who are willing to listen to his law, to his servants, and want to hear it, and want to change from the way we are to be more like Christ and his word. 
So they dedicated themselves. The feast brought about a change in them. They had a dedicated a renewal of God's way of life, a renewal of keeping God's law, a renewal of separating themselves from strangers around them, a renewal of teaching their families, a renewal a renew the tithe. They even started tithing then to God's work. The storehouse was empty, and they started filling the storehouse. Those major events, do you think God was pleased with that? Do you think God might have rejoiced with them in this feast to see that take place, to see those attitudes there of one thousands of them, and see the little ones there as well? You see, brethren, that feast was not a conclusion for them. It was the beginning of something, a renewal, dedication to God's law of life. It's never too late for any of us, I don't care who we are, to rededicate ourselves at the feast and confess our sins if we've been sinning to God for forgiveness, then we can have a nice feast, a good feast, and rejoice in the presence of God. So this feast should teach us that this physical life is not forever. But another life should be in us that's going on forever. Just think what's being created in you. Now, if you don't have God's Spirit, it's death at this time. Something has to be created in you. It has to be a new life in you, a renewing of your old self. See, a rededication. The outward man is perishing. The inner man renewed day by day. Those 49 feasts. Just seemed like yesterday. You wonder where, where the time is. Where is it? Where did it go? See, you can't see yourself aging. You can't see it. Seeing others probably. But time can just slip out of our lives before we know it. And we want to be sure that we redeem the time. And the feast days are the time for us to do that. We're all together, and we can talk about it together, and we can help each other see, during that time. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul brings this out. Second Corinthians 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. See, we don't become a coward. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. See, being renewed every day. Every day we pray to God. Every day we read His Scriptures. Every day we want to be renewed. We want to think His thoughts. Be like Him in everything we do. For our light of fiction, which is for a moment, is working for in us a more exceeding and Eternal weight of glory. While we, not, while we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not, are not seen eternal. You see, brethren, everything we see, the feast is temporary. The real thing is in heaven. The substance is in heaven. The real thing. The ocean is temporary. Hotels are temporary, but the real thing is in heaven. These are shadows. 
of things. So we get a little foretaste of tomorrow's world with God and what it's like. We get that foretaste. We can taste it by being with him eight days, you see. And we come back on a high, don't we? Then we've got the devil to fight when we get back. <laughs> got ourselves to fight. All of these things. But you see, God is working in us to bring us to glory. We resist the pulls of the flesh. We resist Satan. As Mr. Ames said the other day, we have to ask God to help us not to be deceived. The world. See, brethren, I can see how evil the world is. I can see how evil Satan is, but it's very difficult for me to see myself. So Christ has to come into me and save me from what I am. I can't see it. And sometimes I don't want to see it. You see? But I've got to want to see it. And that knowledge is being renewed day by day. You begin to live that way of life. Then first thing you know, you have peace. And even though you're going through a trial, you still have peace. And joy, because you know what the future is for us as well. Now, the lifestyle that we should put on is found in Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 14. But put on the... Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, being renewed every day. And brethren, we all have lust. And it can be powerful at times. Just one more drink. Just one more piece of candy. Just one more of this. Just one or two more kisses. Just whatever it might be. It's a powerful thing that has to be put to death. And without God's help, you can't do it. I've said, well, one more drink's not going to hurt me. And another may not hurt me, you know, may not hurt me. I'm not going to get drunk, you see. See, when you throw God out the window, you rely on yourself. It's not God or His Word. You trust yourself that you know what you can do. You know how far you can go. And you begin to trust that. Not God anymore, because you don't know what God says. You don't know what the Word says. If you know what the Word says in God, you trust Him. And that way you don't trust yourself. And so we put on Christ. You have to put Him on for Him to save us from what we are. Philippians 2, verse 5 said, Let this mind be in you. So when we go... There, pay attention to the sermonettes and sermons. Listen to them. Be excited about it. Pray for that individual, that he'll give you the right information you need. Listen to them, the sermons and sermonettes. Let them correct you. If you see a, a little error there you need to correct, why don't you write it down? Say, God, help me to see it. Help me not to forget it. Help me. You can write on a three or five card. At, at least you know. But if you don't do anything about it, you forget that you are becoming a new man. Think about them. Think about the sermons. Talk it over with your wife. 
you know, the sermons. Meditate on it. Meditate on God's Word that day. And fourthly, you must apply them. See, What good do we, if hearing that we don't apply? See, what good? How could we ever know it's true unless we do it? See, I've said so many times, if I want to learn to drive a car, I've got to learn. I've got to get out and do it. I can read books. But I've got to learn to do it. Scare everybody half to death until I learn how to do it. So the whole way of life is God's way. There is no security outside of God. There's no tomorrow outside of God. There's no eternal life outside of God. Nobody can offer. The church cannot give you life. See, only God can. God gives, is one who gives life. And there is none. So I mentioned the less we know about God and His Word, the more we trust ourselves. When one begins to trust himself, he's in danger, a whole lot of danger. In Proverbs 16, and we're about ready to close here. Proverbs 16, verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the eternal, one departs from evil. So when you're counseling somebody, you want to help them to see. They've got to see, brethren, before they can depart from evil. They've got to see their problem. They've got to have that fear of God. And not, they'll just go on and do the same thing over and over and over. And they forget what manner of man oh, they may be. It's by that fear, you see. Then Proverbs 15, verse 33. But the fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. The fear of God you can teach. You can teach a man or woman who fears God. A man or woman who doesn't fear God just argue with you. That's all they'll do is argue. They want their way. But one who fears God is teachable. The fear of God is beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is, is beginning of knowledge. All of those things is the beginning of God's way of life. Not human's way, not the college way, not the book's way, but God's way. The fear of His book, of His way of life is the beginning of it. In Second Peter chapter 2, and this is the danger. And where Peter warns all of us. In verse 20, For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. If we get involved in the old way of life after we have escaped it, the worse, the end is worse than the beginning. See, and that's why that God said is for it have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it and turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So we cannot be entangled again of the things that we were once entangled in. See, it's different. For us, 
And we're renewing ourselves and being sure that we never go back to that way of life that Christ paid for, died for, that way of life. So during the feast, dedicate yourself to the renewal of God's people. The prophets of old saw in vision, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Noah, and all the prophets, saw in vision the beautiful world tomorrow. That's what they prayed for. That's what they endured. So we want to be sure, brethren, we see that resurrection, that first resurrection for us. There is no second resurrection for me. It's either the first or the third. If I've come entangled again with that lifestyle I once gave up, there's no sacrifice except my eternal life. So remember that. Go to the feast. Dedicate yourself. Enjoy yourself. Be friendly to everybody. Think about the sermons and, and uh, what God will do, that you're in his presence all the day. And you'll come back a different person, happy and renewed in God's spirit.